0: Get to- hey, Eric, how are you? Good, good. Yes, we've interacted so many times on Twitter. It's interesting to to actually be yeah. live and in person.
1: Yes, yes. Put a, put a face to the to the tweet count. Yeah.
0: Yes. So, um, how are you doing this this afternoon?
1: Good, good. Uh, you know, teaching this evening, but um, you know, during the day, it's reasonably sane. Okay. Good. Uh, good. No uh, thank you for, for taking the time to to speak with us you
0: mentioned that you had about an hour which is about yeah, the same yeah. for us yeah okay so um, you and I have obviously uh, interacted on, on Twitter about some of the different different issues I'm sure that you're aware of my position I think I'm aware of yours but maybe we can each start by kind of presenting the the sort of view um, I, I, I'd be very happy to let you start, if, if you'd like to, to explain your position, really just generally on academic freedom, particularly in the UK, and whether you think it's a, in crisis.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I do. I mean, I suppose this issue, I mean, it's, it's you know, most students, most academics are not going to have an issue. I, I mean, I think it's simply those who are in a political minority, um, or who challenge certain orthodoxies, they're the ones who are going to experience this it's, it's a bit like you know if you're in China if you don't challenge the regime ideology you're not going to have a problem you, you won't experience any of these chill wins so yeah I think it is in crisis for those who are in the, in the political minority and I think the survey evidence uh, in the reports that I've done in the UK and North America would show pretty clearly that it's a majority of conservatives who are feeling a hostile environment and also uh, who are self-censoring in the social sciences and humanities. Uh, And I do think that's a big problem. Now, so I don't think no platforming is the biggest issue. I mean, I think it's an issue, but I think it's more of a symptom of a a problem, which is a much bigger issue for me, which is self-censorship and chilling effects on political minorities. Right. And um,
0: so I don't want to jump straight into um, questions, but uh, I suppose I think... Probably we would both agree on the sort of left-right skew of the professoria or academia. Uh, it would be, it, most evidence, as you point out, points to the fact that there's more left and liberal folks in um, academia than there are certainly far right. Uh, there's very few far right. There's a uh, more sizable representation of conservatives, but perhaps, they're in different disciplines or or there's different cultures in different parts of the university. Um, So I wouldn't really particularly um, challenge that. I I suppose there's the no-platforming issues, which are a relatively small number of events, but you're pointing out that there's this kind of chilling effect and I also don't think I would particularly challenge the fact that conservatives students perhaps some conservative academics feel like they can't say what they want to say but I'm wondering where you feel like on the one hand what what responsibility would people on the left or liberal side of the spectrum have vis-a-vis their conservative counterparts because are you? Do you want us to change our behavior in some way? Um, and secondly, sort of what would be the evidence that there is – I believe you call this this iceberg of kind of like there's the events that take place that are a very tiny number of events that's, that sort of point to this underlying iceberg. But I, I haven't seen the evidence for the
1: iceberg I suppose. Well, the icebergs bore just a metaphor of where the problem is greatest, I suppose. So in, in a way, the, the frequency of no platforms is pretty pretty low. It's like 0.01%. Um, if you take the total number of academics in academia, in the UK, it might be 100,000 or a half a million in the US. So that's actually quite a small number of, of actual events, uh, although I wouldn't want to minimize that because in a way, I mean, I think if we were talking about other kinds of group being no platformed, I think even one or two events of, say, a you know, a gay student, a Muslim student, or somebody else being no platform would, and I think rightly, cause a big storm. So I don't want to minimize the no platforming, but to me, that's not the biggest issue. I and mean, the biggest issue is, for example, that you know. Essentially, even remain voters uh, would, you know, 70% of them in the social sciences and humanities say that a, a Brexit voter would not be comfortable sharing their beliefs with colleagues. That's even remain voters, right? Now, amongst Brexit voters, it's sort of 82%. Uh, and, and in the US, it's even higher for Trump supporters. Um, so that's a huge level of, of self censorship. Now, you might say, well, it's just in their imaginations, uh, they're being paranoid. And, and that's a fair. I think it's a fair argument, so you have to... So I, what I then also look at in the survey is things such as um, willingness to discriminate. Um, now, now before I I come into these statistics, it's worth saying that it is a well-established... Uh, there's a well-established literature now on political discrimination and effective partisanship. So this is nothing specific to the left. I mean, right and left... Individually right and left discriminate equally academics and non-academics discriminate equally, it's more a situation of, of structurally when you've got sort of a 10 to 1 uh, ratio, then the discriminate, discriminatory effect is going to hit so much harder on that political minority. So we've got something like a third of UK academics who, who reveal that they discriminate against a known Brexit supporter, and in the US and Canada, it's over 40% for known Trump supporters. Um, and that's so. It's a significant level of discrimination, but again, it's not because academics are any worse than anyone else, or the left is worse than right. It's just a, a function of the um, political skew in the in the faculty. That's all it is. Um, okay. so,
0: yeah. Oh well. So there's a couple things I would ask ask uh, to sort of follow up. Well, one question is: Would you recommend? Is your goal here to be sort of 50-50 or something like – or to be identically representative of the population? Because we don't make these kinds of demands on, say, the police or the military. Why is it significant that there is a political skew and just because – well, I'll, I'll start with that question uh, and then come back to some of the statistics on, and evidence of self-censorship and so forth.
1: Yeah, Yeah. no, I think that's a fair point because, you know, clearly, you know, the, the ideological balance in the police and the military is not going to be the same as in um, the performing arts and academia. So I'm not, you know, we're not going to pretend here that, 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 you know, this is mainly due to self-selection, right? So most of it's fine and there's no way it's ever going to mirror or at least not likely to mirror the population. That's not the point. The point, however, would be to say, okay, well, um, two things. One, is academia doing things that are going to chill uh, potential political minorities from entering the profession, number one? And here I think there is pretty good evidence, and some of which I provided my uh, recent report for the CSPI, uh, where it just shows that, you know, conservatives are just a lot less... They just are more likely to say their views wouldn't fit in, in an academic career. They're more likely to, again, report the hostile environment. Essentially, what's happening is that the you know, it would be a different situation if, for example, um, academia were strenuously trying to make a welcoming environment for, a politically neutral environment for uh, people of different uh, backgrounds. But that's definitely not what's occurring. What's occurring is, if anything, the reverse. There's an overt Uh, progressivism in a lot of departments. I mean, and I'm not going to name the name of a department, but, you know, I have seen departments billing themselves as a progressive department. Um, You know, this is something that they're running and and sort of um, leaning into rather than trying to actually create something that is politically neutral. You have kind of overtly political emails coming from administrators of various kinds, some of which is in the name of equality and diversity, which is which is very ideological. Um, so yeah, I just don't think there is any effort being made anywhere comparable to, for example, efforts on race and gender, where you have you know huge efforts, which which I think are generally fine. You know, it just trying to widen the pipeline of uh, applicants or whatever it is, that's fine. But there is no effort um, being made to, to remedy or, or to even try increase representation from political minorities uh, but th- this isn't really the main issue for for government regulation that's the regulation doesn't target necessarily this kind of dynamic
0: okay so i i see i i suppose i see that you're saying that there's not a welcoming environment for conservatives but that to me there's a there's a particular issue however around kind of content Uh, and my own research looks at the way the universities, particularly as, as universities and professions have started to emphasize science and empirical reality over the course of modernity, that there's this kind of sense that you should refer to facts and ideology is not really an acceptable basis upon which to make a claim. And yet you're sort of saying that the ideologies should be prioritized in order to make more room for conservatives regardless of whether their facts and figures are correct or anything
1: like that No not at all I would want I wouldn't want to ease up on rigor one little bit but I think if we're talking about the social sciences and humanities you can be you can be extremely ideological if you are progressive and that's fine you would not be allowed to be extremely ideological if if you're conservative, then that's fine. And in fact, you can even bend scientific method, um, the so-called critical the, you know, critical studies, whether it be in race and gender. These are not positivist scientifically based in my estimation. The claims they make are not generally falsifiable, and yet they're given a pass for political reasons. So if anything, I think the ideological uh, bias is very much in favor of uh, the group that's already in the majority, um, and there's absolutely no, no court, so that's not the, that's not what we're seeking. What we're sort of seeking is what I would be seeking would simply be a level playing field where you're treating all uh, ideological positions equally. And yes, you can have one set of scientific standards, so you're not going to have QAnon in your uh, in your department. But equally, I think if you apply these standards to right wing nut cases, you've got to apply them to left wing nut cases as well. And I'm just not sure that that's actually being done.
0: Okay um well so uh, so from the sounds of it it sounds like the basis you'd like to make these claims on is a, is a sort of empirical one so i i was just wondering if if we could look at some of the actual statistics from your report this is the academic freedom in crisis report and i just sort of had a few questions relating to um for example the um 2 to 4 percent response rate for the North American and British mail, which you say has been triangulated against the UGOV survey. So I was just wondering if you could explain that kind of meth- methodology of triangulation in, in that way.
1: Well, yeah, we have uh, essentially there are eight surveys in the study coming from a range of different places. So some are so in the North America case, these were online mailout surveys to large numbers of um, publicly available uh, academic emails, and the response—the number of responses that I got was in total about, I think, seventeen hundred started and filled out the first section, but about eleven 1, hundred completes on the U.S. and Canadian numbers. Um, and, yeah, so that's that's only 2 to 4% of the total that I approached. Then I had the UGOV sample, which is um, – I got 820 off of the YouGov uh, panel. Right. These are people who fill out surveys for UGovX So they're filling out commercial surveys, other kinds of surveys. So there would be no self-selection. I mean, we were, re- I think, 61 to 73% of the people who happen to be filling out surveys, happen to be academics, or have been retired academics, we managed to get. So the chance of significant self-selection bias is pretty low on that. Similarly, with the prolific uh, surveys where it was 72 to 85%. So what we're doing there is I'm trying to get the maximum sample, but I'm using different methods to try and uh, approximate to the population of interest. Now, the other thing is I did a UK uh, online mail out and a UK, the, the YouGov survey, which is UK as well. So we can compare the results from the online method with a low response rate to the um, survey platform high response rate to see if there's much difference. And there really wasn't. Um, these surveys are more or less speaking to each other, providing pretty similar um, results. I mean, within a range.
0: Right. Um, so, I, I just wanted to share this because I actually studied um, academics and tried to arrange with YouGov as well. Um, and I, I've received this email um, in which we've basically, uh, the response from YouGov was that there would be a maximum of 800 academics in the UK and that this sample would be not representative. So I'm just curious as to know why your UGov sample was representative when I contacted YouGov and they said this is an impossible thing to do.
1: Well, I mean, what survey firms do is they, have, they they send out their survey using their best, you know, it's not randomly sampled. That's what they mean. So they haven't gone through the list of academics and thrown a dart at every one in, in 50 or one in 100 and kept pestering them till they got a response. I mean that would be your gold standard method. But uh, you know, and this is true of poll survey companies in general anyway. Is they will survey the population, and then you can weight the survey by key demographics: gender, race, age. Um, even you know, so, so this is a way in which one can then peg these so they can weight them to the um, to the higher education faculty statistics by those variables. Now we can't we can't weight them by willingness to fill out a survey. I mean that's so true. If there is some sort of bias coming from that, then fine. So yeah, that's I think what they're talking about. They can't do a random sample, but I think the results are you know I think if you look at the gen you can control for gender for race, for the key demographics. Well, um, I, there's a
0: question here from you from someone on YouTube regarding the random you, did you, did you say that the YouGov panel is a random sample of UK academics?
1: No, no, uh, but what it is not is a um, convenience sample. So it is people who happen to be there for other reasons, filling out surveys. So unless we have a reason to think that is a a, a sample that in some ways is going to skew our data, these are just people who happen to be there filling out surveys. So it is simply less susceptible, much less susceptible to any kind of self-selection bias.
0: Okay, and then you've... The claim is that that is the same as, for example, the National Association of Scholars Survey, which would you suggest that that is a selective sample?
1: Yeah, I mean, that is going to be more – well, as a sample of NAS scholars, I got about 10 percent. Um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be self-selection in any sample of 10. percent The NAS themselves, of course, you know, people are going to self-select into the NAS who are more concerned in general about academic freedom. So that's true. Um,
0: well, because what what because isn't the, I I hadn't actually come across the NAS before, but I believe the report you it it, it suggests that they are a group of scholars that that have complained about being censored. So isn't that entirely the sample of of folks who, it's it's like you've got them all in a
1: room, all of the ones. No, no, no. People are members who are concerned about issues around academic freedom. Um, So they themselves, I mean, you can see in the survey, most of them have, you know, well, I would say 40, about 45% have had one or more experiences of being threatened or, or punished for speech compared to about 15% in the general sample, other general samples that I took. So um, yeah, it's definitely a lot higher. It's not everybody, um, but yes. Yeah.
0: Okay, um, well, because the, there's another version of, um, let's see, I'm just trying to find where it was referenced. I think it was page 17. Because you refer to, uh, and I believe this was also in the Quillette summary that you posted, where you've compared the NAS survey, which has about 227 respondents, to a UCU survey of 2,300, um, and then pointed out that there's much more difference. Now, in in this experience of disciplinary action, forgive me if I've, I've not read the uh, sort of analysis completely. But are you saying that these are right-wing chilling effects and UCU are left-wing chilling effects?
1: No, we. Don't, I don't have that level of analysis in that chart. That's simply a summary of the means for those questions across the three surveys of all ideologies. It's just that the share left in the UCU survey is, you know, overwhelming. I don't know, it's maybe 80% maybe some, something like 70, 75, or in the EU survey, uh, whereas the NAS as usual, in having 60% conservative. So in terms of increasing a sample size of conservative academics, because really there are so few conservative academics, particularly in the social sciences and humanities at the top universities, so I got only about... Um, well, I got 43 in my PhD cert sample of, and about 40 in my U.S. Uh, academic sample. So it's pretty small. So I kind of wanted to increase that sample size. Look, looked at it independently, by the way. So when I say one in three graduate students and academics in the U.S. has experienced either a, either discipline or threats of discipline, that excludes the NAS survey. So that's one in three of, of people on the prolific sample and the online mail out who were conservative right. responded to you know, so, so responded to at least one of the threats that they had experienced.
0: Now so when we go back to the uh, to the surveys that have all been done together, now you're suggesting that because I I believe that the, the, the statement here is the result is a triangulated body of replicated knowledge on political discrimination and chilling effects that has not been contradiction and thus no longer should be seriously disputed. So that's saying that because of these surveys that have been done, that they all conform with one another and therefore there's no basis upon which to, to be skeptical.
1: Well, Given the current state of knowledge, so the other thing to mention is a lot of these questions were drawn from um, pre-existing studies of chilling effects, of political discrimination, um, and the three main ones that I list, and they're not the only ones, by the way, are the Inbar and Lammers 2012, Honeycutt and Freeburg 2017, and the Peters 2020, um, and, and there are others, I mean um, – Pippa Norris, who's a leading Harvard um, political scientist, has done work on this as well. They're all saying the same thing. I mean, basically every single study out there, including the ones I've done, multiple across a number of countries, they're all kind of telling the same story. And at some point, you know, it's a bit like smoking and lung cancer. We've got to actually, I think, recognize the state of the literature. It's up to the other side to... Uh, to come up with something that sh- that would change us, there's nothing there so far in the existing body of scholarship that would lead us to believe that political discrimination is not a is not majorly at play. That there's not a significant level of um, chilling effects and self censorship going on amongst conservative academics and PhD oh. students. So, okay, so, so I, I,
0: wonder- did, I did concede that there's a possibility that. Um, conservatives experience chilling effects, but is that possibly because the right-wing media is telling them all the time that they're due to be discri- The what I haven't seen is actual discrim evidence of discrimination. Like, it's a fa- would you agree that it's a fairly loaded charge to basically accuse myself, my colleagues, all, others of of essentially discriminating against conservatives when I, I actually engage with. Conservatives all the time. I mean, I would sit and eat lunch with them, or whatever. You know, like I, I don't, I don't know where the evidence is that conservatives are being discriminated against.
1: Well, that may be the case for you, Eric, and that's great. And I, but and, and of course, these studies generally don't show a majority of, of academics are discriminating discriminating against conservatives, but the numbers are in the range of sort of between fifteen and and 40, 45 percent. Um, all these studies, right? So what I'm saying to you is these studies ask people explicitly, would you discriminate against a right-leaning grant application, journal article, uh, promotion application, higher? And we're, the numbers that we're getting are in the range I've just explained. And particularly on the, um, on this list experiment, we got between a third and, you know, let's say 40% in the U.S. I mean, that's a significant amount of discrimination individually 40, if individually one in three academics would discriminate against a known lever. if you've got a panel of four, that's an 80% chance if you're a known lever that you're gonna experience discrimination. So you would be crazy to let that, those opinions slip if you want a job or you wanna get promoted. That's my point here, and, and this is not, this is a, an accumulated body of knowledge that's been replicated in my study, but you can look to others if you don't wanna, if, if you don't like my data, you can look at others' data. And, in fact, you can go wider than that and look at the literature on political discrimination in society in general, uh, which has developed. And this none, nothing that I'm finding is especially surprising if you know this literature. And it's not – this is why, you know, it shouldn't be seen necessarily as an indictment of one group of people. This is the way societies are operating in the late or the early 21st century amongst educated people.
0: Right. Well – So here's Joseph asking about whether you... Defining conservative academics based off of voting preferences is a pretty narrow basis. Um, So if we're talking about leave versus remain, I mean, if we're talking about uh, a grant application related to something related to leave and remain, but why would a scientist doing biology ever have to deal with that question? That's one. But also... um, in something like the social sciences in sociology, one of the core texts we have is Max Weber, Science as a Vocation, where he says, it's one thing to have your own political ideology, but you should remove that from your teaching. And a vast majority of my colleagues that I know of do. And we teach both sides and try to, and, you know, I mean, there's the occasional exception But um, just because some of us vote for, you know, Joe Biden or to remain or whatever, like, where's the evidence that this actually turns up in the teaching and research?
1: Well, we, okay, so there's different bits of evidence. I mean, just in terms of studies that have been done. So one study looked at uh, legal scholarship and used voter registration data to identify the political leanings of, of the faculty, and the coders were not able to identify who the conservatives were because they kept their views totally hidden in their work. Whereas uh, many of the progressives may were openly progressive in in the way they argued uh, and the way they wrote. And that's, you know, in some ways I think that's fine. I mean, I I mean, in a way um, I'm not trying to muzzle that, but what I'm saying is there is definitely not a a equal standard here. And and in fact, in the survey questions, you could see, we asked people if they would discriminate against a left-leaning grant application, left-leaning paper and so on. Now, those on the right would, by the way, have similar rates as those on the left who discriminate against the right. It's just there's very few of them. So if you take, for example, left-wing academics, they're just not likely to just, you know, the, the data shows they're not going to discriminate against a left-leaning paper. So it's not about having a left or a right lean. There is a much more pronounced discrimination against a right-leaning paper than against a left-leaning paper. And, and it's not because, again, a left-wing academics are any worse. They're doing the same thing the right-wing does but they're just a lot more numerous so they their views carry a lot more effect a lot more clout
0: well so the the one thing i would concede is sort of if there's a, a greater number of left wing academics the probability of a handful of obnoxious left wing people confronting a conservative at some point in their career is higher because of the number but that, and that's a kind of like a microaggression building up to some kind of fear of, of kind of speaking out because you never know if but – that's, but that's kind of like a very difficult thing to, to control. So I, 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 I do kind of wonder what you're asking people, the vast majority of academics who don't discriminate,
1: uh, like what do you want us to do? Well, okay. So there's a couple of things. I mean, the first is there's two parts to this problem. One is is what I call hard authoritarianism, which is the disciplinary action and the threats and the procedures uh, and 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 that universities have, which are which chill, okay? Particularly if they violate um, the duties to uphold academic freedom, which a lot of the uh, harassment policies, and a lot of the uh, issues around policies and work and study do. And I think Civitas' um, study showed that pretty clearly. So a lot of policies are not compliant in terms of violating academic freedom. But, yeah, so essentially academics need to know that they cannot be – that essentially if a mob blows up on Twitter to go after them or students complain against them, their university is going to have their back – and isn't going to give in to uh, pressure, uh, sort of, of that kind. So that's, I think, critical. That if you can take away the chilling effect coming from administrative punishment, that's at least going to get us part of the way. It's not, still not the majority of the problem, but it's going to get us part of the way. Now, in terms of the political discrimination chill, um, if you, if you know, if universities made it pretty clear that you were not in any, whether you were. Um, refereeing a research grant or paper or whether you are hiring or promoting, that you have to be just as conscious of political bias as of race and gender bias, for example. If that were the case, and if, if departments and universities made strenuous attempts not to be political, I'm not saying academics. Academics should be free to be as political as they want. I'm talking about officials, people in an administrative capacity, speaking in an administrative capacity, sending emails to an institution should not be political and ideological. Uh, And now if those efforts were being made, then I'd say, well, then they're making the efforts they can make and we're getting the people that we're getting and there's a skew and that's it. We're just going to have to live with that and that's fine.
0: Um, Well, so what about things like there is, because I, 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 so you're saying academics should be completely free to teach and research whatever they want. But that's to me, I'm going to put that aside because there are things that are not true that I don't think professors should teach. But um, I'll put that aside for now. You're you're suggesting that the administrators should not do things like follow through on the Equalities Act, which is a legal requirement, or something like prevent? Do you think that universities should not be fulfilling their their legal requirements? That's something you...
1: no, the, so, so the question then becomes one of of what is the relative priority of these requirements, right? So, equalities versus prevent versus academic freedom, and so in the white paper, for example, the emphasis is very clearly that the acad- those academic freedom duties come first, and these other duties are are subsidiary to that up until a certain point. There are trade off points, obviously, in all of these things, which are decided in in the fine points of law, but essentially. Um, you know the threshold. The threshold for, let us say, you know, some student complaint. If it doesn't meet the threshold, it sh- simply should be desk rejected. That would be much. so. If we're dealing, if we're serious about dealing with chilling effects, f- frivolous complaint complaints that have no chance of meeting the legal threshold, uh, that the universities have to abide by the legal threshold, not make up their own thresholds. And similarly with prevent. By the way, the universities overdo it on prevent. They should not be. The the academic freedom has to come first. It's only if it meets a very high standard of prevent, uh, you know, some sort of a violation in terms of prevent that it should be um, acted upon. So, again, I think in many ways, universities are, I think, simply not upholding that standard of academic freedom um, that is to some extent already there in the legal guidance, but is going to be even more clear in the new and updated uh, guidance.
0: Right. And so, would you say, for example, let's imagine that the government, and I don't think that this is completely um, imaginary, let's say that the government put a ban on critical race theory in uh, United UK universities and said you cannot teach that. Um, Would it be the responsibility of both the academics and the administrators to make sure that critical race theory was taught? if that's what the academics and students and the, the discipline wanted to teach?
1: Well, I – okay, so I think that a ban on a ban on critical race theory outright, I just think that would be a violation of academic freedom. So okay. um, I just think it's a non-starter. And, and in fact, academic freedom also protects – I mean, it protects left-wing speech as well. It'll, if you're studying Israel in the Middle East or, or whatever – if you are um, thrown into tribunal on the basis of some purported prevent violation, you can go to the ombudsman and you can appeal outside your university's procedures uh, for redress. And this, so, so this actually is going to help anybody whose academic freedom is being infringed on the basis of a sort of bogus reading of uh, the law, basically. Um, which, because nurses are not held to an interpretation that is in line
0: with the law right now. Right. But so, but you're suggesting that unpopular political opinions should be on protected. And then also that a viewpoint diversity like should be made to, to be more or less equal in different situations like presented. So I'm just assuming that you're defending the rights of conservatives um you know because perhaps there's some folks that you might know or yourself that might want to present some views but if it's if we're making a an in principle claim for academic freedom you would also say that critical race theory should be presented any time that uh, a view is presented that's the opposite of that no so no for example no, no. if someone wants to say the British Empire was a morally good um, thing. Or if you're a gender-critical scholar and you want to say that um, trans women are not women, it should be required that the viewpoint diversity is brought
1: to bear and the opposite position is presented as well? No, no. um, No, no, not at all. What I would say, though, is that there should not be a compulsory so it should not. We should not have compulsory training or compulsory teaching in something uh, like any one of those. Anything that's taught as the truth and that you must go and you must undergo this this training or whatever. Uh, I think that's wrong because people have freedom of conscience. They should be allowed to opt out of these things without any kind of penalty. Um, but no, I'm not saying. I think a panel can be all one view. That's absolutely fine um I'm not saying some kind of enforced viewpoint diversity
0: no Okay um, so but so this is an issue, for example with say Stonewall uh, has a position regarding trans um, trans rights, which is a, a function of the Equalities law. so it is it is external as well um, but the, I'm just confused as to what is the problem with universities kind of, making a case that they want tolerant workplace so, so for example in 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 your in your survey questions I, I, I don't i can't find the exact point but there there's a there's a sort of a position that diversity is is wrong or or uh, it's a hypothetical
1: case a hypothetical, a hypothetical case right.
0: yeah i was just trying to look at it. i can't find it but it was it was a, a question about if someone thought that diversity was wrong, right? And whether you would sit... No, if a a scholar reported that... What would be the the argument that diversity is wrong? I'm just confused as to what... So if a scholar
1: scholar of organizations... So it's one of the hypothetical four cases for the dismissal campaign. Um, If a scholar reported that organizations with a higher share of uh, women and minorities had lower organizational performance, that was the hypothetical... And, and, you know, and I'm not, you know, this is not something that I'm endorsing. I'm just saying I came up with a bunch of what I thought were controversial positions modeled loosely on real world uh, examples of, the, of this case. Um, would you favor a campaign to dismiss the scholar that reported these findings? That is, that's sort of what it was about. Um, and so you all, you had something like 13% in the UK and... in the U.S. who favored dismissal. And it's actually quite a small share. Uh, You know, and and in the other examples, it was sort of under 10%. So, uh, you know, one of the points is that there is actually a very small share that are actively in favor of cancel culture in the professoriate, in the faculty.
0: Right. Uh, So, uh, okay, so, so there was a very specific question that was asked of these folks. But... So you have empire is positive, restrict immigration, um, and then there's various points who would support – what is this, to, to remove them. But yeah. then then the, the iceberg thesis is that there's a higher percentage that would not eat lunch and things with uh, these folks
1: yeah. or – Right. So in the U.S. and Canada, uh, in the social sciences and humanities, I was getting only about under 30 percent who said they'd be comfortable having lunch with a gender, essentially gender critical feminist and about 40 percent for a Trump supporter. And in Britain, those numbers are all higher by a little amount. So I think 50, 53 percent comfortable with a Brexit supporter and th- somewhere in the 30s for Gender critical feminists, so majority not comfortable. Except for the Brexit supporter, majority not comfortable.
0: So, so not sitting like so. For example, the reason I wanted to ask about the diversity or pro empire claims is: can you imagine being, say, not just a left wing academic, but say mm-hmm. um, an ethnic minority, and finding out that someone is thinks that the empire was great, or being a transgender person? And finding out that the, the person is transphobic, is that, is that really like being discriminatory of their ideology or is that just being aware of the person's discrimination against them?
1: Well, okay. I mean, I think in those cases, we might be uh, more understanding of someone not wanting to sit down with, with somebody, but that's, you know, those, the, those are not the majority or even a small minority of the sample. Uh, so we're well, just
0: which about, sample is this? I'm just
1: which well, any of the media, the YouGov or the uh, online mailouts that you know it's so the lunch, the lunch survey. Which which was
0: that on the YouGov?
1: The question was asked on all those, uh, on almost all the surveys. So, um, but the online, the the North American online survey, we got um, under thirty percent saying they would be comfortable and this is not trans people, I mean, these are just standard academics, so there may be the odd trans person in there, but it's, gonna, it's not going to affect the sample. Uh,
0: okay. So, it would seem to me that, as a social scientist, that a, a truly mixed method analysis, like a triangulated method, would interview some of the folks that are making these claims that they're not going to eat with someone, for example. Like, do you have do have you interviewed anyone who who said we won't sit with a gender critical feminist and explain their reasoning behind that?
1: No, no. I think this is. I mean, this is survey research operates like this, Eric. I mean, people conduct. It's already a pretty extensive body of of questions, and and yeah, I mean, the goal. It would be lovely to f- to follow up and find out do focus groups and find out exactly how people interpreted every question. Um, but that's, I think, above and beyond the call of duty um, in this case. And so this is
0: the, sorry, this is, so this is the North American survey. Yeah. And it's sort of saying comfortable sitting with a transcritical. And so the, this is a Trump voter mm-hmm. is, is actually not comfortable
1: sitting with a transcritical critical. Well, yeah, I mean, it's about what is it, forty-eight? I can't read it from there. But um, I mean, it's, a lot, it's a lot higher than, than a Clinton uh, supporter at twenty-five, but it's still not a majority. So, yeah, that's right. It's not just it's not just the left that's that's implicated in this sort of discrimination against gender critical feminism.
0: Right. Um, So what I might do is, because I've obviously asked you a lot of questions, so maybe I can, if you wouldn't mind, there's some folks asking some questions from from, uh, different um, points of... So, let's see. um, There was a question earlier about um, things like uh, race, science, and, and different bits that were kind of... Well, actually, here, I'll start with... Liz Morish has this question. The policy exchange report suggests the teaching and research seminars might operate under Chatham house rules, uh, and that this might hinder free exchange of ideas if discussion cannot continue out of class. Do you have any thoughts on this question regarding on the one hand, it might improve things, but also are there potential unintended consequences of limiting discussion in other directions?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point And, and, um, maybe it's a, Maybe that negative outweighs the positive of making people people feel more comfortable about coming, being open with their views. So um, I guess it's a question around sort of tweeting or screenshotting or recording or, or in some ways reporting on what happened in the class, uh, which might be chilling. I mean, a lot of the, – the, the Heterodox Academy latest – campus survey showed something like 60 60 percent of students were uh, concerned about what their fellow students thought um, and were reluctant to come to be open with their views for that reason so would this make a difference it might make enough of a difference I, th- I think people can still talk about ideas outside of class but just not in terms of recording or uh, in some ways quoting verbatim what went on in the class I think I think that just might be so it, does, it shouldn't actually hinder uh, discussion, but it might hinder publication, for example, or, or speaking leaks to a reporter, for example. So she should still be able to discuss outside of class.
0: Okay. Um, and uh, so... Um well, here's here's um and so, sounds like the target should be the reputation management policies of universities and and why is the target kind of like these sort of woke academics and so forth and not the university administrators that seem to be um the 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 ones who
1: have you seem to have an issue with Well, the the administrators are the problem. I mean, they are responding and reacting to uh, what's happening on Twitter, what's happening in terms of internal complaints. Um, The problem, in a way, is the complaints and the Twitter activity is coming from the, uh, you know, essentially the woke or, if you you like, left modernist uh, activism. And that is – that's what's – that's the sort of initial – Cause and then the university is refracting that through their reputation management uh, policy, their policy and work and study. These uh, these these other sets of policies, which they then interpret in such a way as to clamp down on, on free speech or to chill speech. So I agree that absolutely reputation management is something that it needs to be made clear that that is secondary to academic freedom. When the two collide, that that cannot be used as an excuse to. Um, abridge the academic freedom rights of staff and students. So um, I, I think this, and, and this is abused, I think, by, the, the thing is there's no scrutiny of how universities uh, weigh up their competing obligations, and typically academic freedom, even though they have policies on it, uh, simply falls by the way, It gets trumped by um, other priorities, such as reputation management. I think that needs to, I think with the, um, auditing of universities that should hopefully come to an end. Right. Um,
0: and so there's a lot of questions about about uh, lunch. I've got to say. Um, <laughs> Maybe because so, lunch time now. <laughs> <clears throat> so wh- here, here, why why does it matter whether some academics want to have lunch with other? Like, isn't there a sort of freedom yeah. that we should have where we don't have to eat lunch with people if we don't like them?
1: Okay, so it's, you're right. I mean, of course, people have freedom of association. Um, I think I mentioned elsewhere, you know, if you are a Foucauldian and you want to hang out with the Foucauldians, then, you know, you should be able to hang out with the Foucauldians. That's not, that isn't really the, the point. I suppose this is a way of simply saying, well, this is it. This is, would you actively exclude? It's one thing not to want to, you know, not to be, that your first choice might be to hang out with those of your own. Uh, And and you shouldn't be compelled to do otherwise. But I suppose the issue is if you would exclude someone on the basis of, you know, it's color, creed and religion, and this is a kind of creed, right? So I think it is, it would be wrong to actively exclude. I think you might... Uh, you might not it might not be your first choice of who to go to lunch with, but I think it is revealing that there's a very high share that would not be comfortable. I mean I think that it's very much similar to other kinds of questions around sort of where would you want to live who who would you want to be friends with? you know of course, you have freedom to associate with who you want to associate with on any basis, but you know it would be nice if you didn't feel scared of the other if you like I mean if you if you might you might at least be willing to do it once in a while, not, not every day.
0: Right. Um, I, well, I suppose it does still go back to the question of you would expect a black colleague to sit with a colleague who thinks the empire was uh, a good, morally good thing uh, because of their
1: they should be tolerant of their ideology? Well, I, I mean, ideally, I think it would be a learning experience for each to hear from the other. I think that would be, be- a better situation, actually. But of course, you know, the, the, the number of black academics in my surveys is not large. It's not. It's not what's driving. I mean, is, the that,
0: is that perhaps because there's not a lot of black academics in general? Um, yes, because
1: of racism. I mean, of course. Was because of what? Because of institutional racism, I mean... Well, no, I, I, would, dispute, <laughs> I would dispute that as the reason, no. Uh, but there are not that, you know, there isn't a large share of black academics. Uh, I, I, in the UK? Current. In the UK and in the US too. Right. And so why would that be? Well, I mean, it, it's what it's the same question as asking why do some groups... Uh, choose certain disciplines more than others. Why are there more women in psychology and and veterinary science and more men in engineering? Why are there more Asians in in being doctors and lawyers than being historians? I mean, these are some So, so,
0: So there's some, some scholars who would say that on those questions of why are there more women in science or in, uh, humanities versus science, some would say that's because of biology. um, would you say that that's uh, a reasonable claim to make? I mean, I'm, the not, an against that.
1: I'm, I'm not an expert on this. I, I think it's definitely an input, but whether it's, it's a small share of the explanation or a larger share, I mean, I'm mean, just not qualified to say, um, you know, I mean, I think that it's very – what's clear is there are different choices made by different
0: ethnic sorry, groups. But, so, but are, is there different choices made by conservatives that, like, a lot of them might just yeah. choose to go into banking – and not academia. So yeah. why 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 would you want us to correct for those decisions and not correct for, say, the decisions of black scholars not to go
1: into philosophy departments? Well, I would want to have whatever if we can imagine a natural a situation where natural choices, sort of the, the, the choices that are made that are sort of uncoerced, uh, lead to yeah, a sorting of different genders and ethnic groups into different Uh, Similarly with politics, you know, you would have a natural inclination whereby people who are high in the uh, big five trade of openness, which would tend to be more people on the left, would tend to select more into uh, academia. I think that's perfectly reasonable. Um, The question is, what should the distribution be? The problem is the distribution in 1960 was about two to one left to right, uh, and it's now sort of six to one um, oh, sorry, it was actually one and a half to one. And so, so it's not just a question of psychological profiles se- selecting into higher
0: well, education. Well, where do you – so I'm just going to push you on this because we only yeah. have so many minutes left. But where is the evidence that this isn't just the fact that conservatives have not been making good ideas? Like uh, why why has the shift from two to one, yeah. left right – to six to one, left, right, what, How? where's the evidence that that's because the left wing has pushed conservatives out and not just simply conservatives chose to abandon the academy and work for think tanks and work for Wall Street and work for any other employment other than academia? And, and, and why is this credited to discrimination? And, and the second question is, why is that something that I just need to accept but I, I shouldn't accept the theories of you know, critical race theory and, and other um, you know, feminist scholarship that would say that the same patterns in those fields are due to sexism and racism. Like it's one thing if you accepted one but not the other. But it, it strikes me as why be skeptical of the race and sexism argument but expect me to sort of have no skepticism for the conservative argument.
1: Oh no! I want full skepticism. It's all about the evidence. So, for example, if we if you ran a survey that asked people, "Would you uh, hire? A, would you not hire a female or a black scholar for a job?" and you got, you know, in a revealed, if in a list experiment, you got forty percent of people saying they wouldn't hire a, a black person for a job, I would I would be wow. That is just hugely problematic, and we've got to do something about this now, right? So, essentially, we don't have anything like that evidence for these other categories. And incidentally, by the way, there's also I mean, there's a whole bunch of research on how essentially political prejudice is, is much more overt, much stronger, in, particularly amongst educated people. Uh, but isn't that
0: because that's not a protected characteristic? I mean, well, preference is not, it's like that's content.
1: The European Court has, I mean, the, one of the European Court's rulings recently is you cannot just you can't just discriminate on the basis of somebody's political, you know, right. affiliation. I mean, this is not something you're allowed to do. So, so it is actually protected in law. Um, you know, it, we can argue about how, how if it is properly protected in the UK or not, but no, it has a status. I, I mean, I think, so what I'm saying to you is there, there are testable ways of falsifying the discrimination hypothesis. I mean, if we did, a list experiment, and so I did, one of the questions I asked is whether you discriminate on a a right-wing term paper in marking, and I got a really low share of something like 7%, which is pretty negligible in my view. It's not serious. Um, So, yeah, I think in in terms of marking, I don't think we have a problem. I do think we do in in terms of grant applications and hiring. The other thing thing is in terms of the chilling effects, um, I mean, the survey that I did on uh, master's and PhD students showed that the conservative master's and PhD students said that their beliefs would be less likely to fit in academia. And they also were, lo- were no different in terms of their views on whether academia was attractive or unattractive due to pay or isolation. So some of the things which affect whether people are willing to go into academia didn't really distinguish conservatives from the left. It was only around this question of whether their beliefs would fit in. Uh, with academia, that the political beliefs that that we saw a big differentiation.
0: I, but I can I, I, I said right from the start, and I realize that we we'll probably have to wrap up relatively soon. But I I can see that conservatives do think this and feel this. Um. But again, just using a, an equivalent example, if 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 a black academic thought that their institution was institutionally racist. Ah, uh, because they don't see other black people in their workplace. Would you consider that to be a justifiable fear?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, in combination with evidence of discrimination. So I, please, I, I which I, there is actually quite a lot in
0: the case of eth- ethnic discrimination.
1: Well, I'd I need I'd need to see the studies. So I need to. Yeah, see. That's, that's, I mean, please. No. Well, there's no. so many. There,
0: I can believe you are on the a J store on the amount of I mean, ethnic minority discrimination that takes place in 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 academia seriously
1: I I would need to see the studies Eric I mean I, what I would say to you is I can believe that some of it does take place partly as a result of who people decide to associate with at the micro level but if you take in terms of the overt discrimination, uh, I don't think that it's there in terms of. So if, well, if I there's no overt the survey, discrimination for conservatives either. There is, of course, there is forty yeah, percent of people. Yeah. Discrimin- that's, of in, that's 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 on, on the surveys. They're admitting openly, you know. Twenty-five to forty percent. I mean, that's huge. Okay, if if there was anything even remotely approaching that in a survey on for black or or female academics, I mean, there would be enormous and rightfully so enormous action to try and get that to zero Uh, there's no actual action on this it's not considered a problem all i'm saying to you is i am but 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 it goes back to the question of yeah you
0: you've got the surveys you've got the question about whether people would would sit and feel comfortable sitting with transphobes and people are saying that they wouldn't um but that's that doesn't I mean, that's how is that an academic free? I mean, this is there are students. Okay, let's let's use the example of of gender critical scholars, um, and I'd like to just mention briefly that next next week we do hope that Kathleen Stock can join us um, because of, people are all busy though. I <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this, I, 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 I I do appreciate you coming on. I really do. I, I we I do really want to have more of these conversations because. I don't want people to feel like they can't say what they think, and I don't feel like I, I don't I I think that academia is open and tolerant, including of conservative voices. So for the I don't. Most part it is, yeah. For the most part, it is. But and but equally, I don't really want you know the public to think that we're a bunch of hostile anti-Tories or whatever. And I don't. I, I think many of us might be in our private lives, but. Um, you know, I also think that that's acceptable. Um, so I, 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 I don't want to get too hung up on, on any one, one point, but if, if we're talking about a gender-critical, trans-critical um, academic and people not wanting to associate with them, now I can see how that making that decision to become a trans-critical academic is essentially asking to enter a small group – of people who think the same way because the vast majority of people don't think that way. And that's not just in academia, that's actually the public as well. Think that being transphobic uh, is is like being racist. That's why people don't want to say that they're being racist. I mean, I think it's acceptable to say I'm c- biased against conservatives because it's you could be biased against conservatives. That's not a, that's not something that is protected in any way. I I don't think, but you don't have to sit and eat lunch with them.
1: Well, okay. I think, first of all, I would take issue with some of the characterization of, of gender critical feminists. Um, but uh, what I would say is that, you know, you don't have to eat lunch, but look, we're talking about active exclusion versus not choosing to, to socialize with somebody every day. I mean, there is, I think an issue. If you th- if you think it is okay uh, if you kind of self-justify some of these political prejudices, I do think that's a problem. I, I think there's a good paper out recently on essentially showing and arguing that being politically biased against somebody for their ideology is really is is of this is a problem of the same order as being politically biased against somebody for their religion. I mean, you can caricature in a one-dimensional way their beliefs as being extreme, and and that anyone who's conservative is essentially QAnon, anyone who's Gender critical hates trans. I mean, you can you
0: can have these kind oh, of. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but what about calling uh, people on the left woke sorcerers and and using? I well, mean, isn't that a, isn't that an unfair? You know, if if, if this think, is a religious level yeah. discrimination, isn't it? Isn't it a bit intolerant of you, the opposed side, the woke side, to keep calling them woke? For example. Well, and, and, I didn't call a
1: left woke. That's not what I – I didn't call a left woke. I mean we're talking about groups of people who are um, progressive uh, authoritarian in the sense of being intolerant of different views uh, is, is what I'm referring to. Woke is actually, I think – yeah, it's not the term – I mean technically I would use the term left modernist instead of woke. Um, essentially that refers to those who would sacralize – uh, historically disadvantaged, race, gender, and sexuality categories. I mean, that is essentially what woke means. That's a hell of a mouthful, though, to go through each time. Um, I think it is a, a a concept. You know, it is a concept that has that can be measured, tested, and falsified.
0: Well, okay. I'm I'm not sure that woke. could so, I, I mean, I, I tend to agree, and maybe this is worth leaving here because I think we could pick this up again, and I'd be really keen to just debate this more often um, uh, in the future. But the, I agree with you that this is actually essentially a religious controversy. This is a moral and ethical debate, and, and this is why people don't want to sit and socialize with people they find ethically dubious. But I do think that goes both ways. And I think you're probably right that the reason this hits academia is because there are more left wing people, and therefore the right wing people feel that much more isolated because there's fewer of them, and they have to confront more left wing people. But in society, the opposite is the case, Um, and so I'm just concerned for people out in the world that are suffering the opposite forms of discrimination, but. If we are genuinely going to resolve this without, for example, bringing the government in, which is really where I, I do think it—it's not a crisis that warrants government intervention—but we can debate that separately. Um, if that was the case, um, that it was essentially a religious, moral, ethical conflict, there's no way that we'll get through this by calling each other names. I just—I think that you need to get to the source. Of the ethical claim and I don't think that woke is a methodological or empirical concept I think it's an epithet just like social justice warriors or whatever
1: else well I think one you know people have you know in, in terms of their in some of the, the speech that they have in discussions of the extreme wing of um, the other side I mean I think when you're dealing with an extreme wing yeah I mean there's going to be humor there's going to be but I agree with you if you want to have a an in-depth discussion that's sober. You know, I I would prefer the term, well, essentially left modernist extremist is the way I would tend to put it, or, or perhaps um, those who have sacralized identity categories uh, and, and and therefore anything that might apply, imply any sort of, oh, giving of offense or anything to, you know, putative giving of offense to these categories uh, must be seen as blasphemous. I mean, I think that is sort of the way I would analyze that strand. But I mean, I do think woke, in terms of signifying that sacralization process, is is a. It's not just an epithet. I think it is a a term that describes something uh, conceptual. But I think the concept I would use is maybe something like, you know, left modernist, for example.
0: Okay, well, I, I don't want I, – I, you, you gave us an hour, and I'm very, very appreciative of that. So, um, you know, and, and, and again, I do, I do appreciate you coming on to debate this because um, you've obviously gotten quite a lot of attention for your report. So I'm, I'm pleased to have had the chance to ask you more questions about it and, you know, uh, hopefully put names and faces and so yeah. forth.
1: Well, thanks for, thanks for initiating, Eric, and, uh, you yeah, know, another time. Okay. okay. Take it easy. Thank you, Eric. Thanks. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. Free speech.
1: Bye.